Hello and welcome back to the Peter Mackay Motorsport Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Today we're going to talk all about MotoGP and the final round in Valencia in Spain and uh, all of the the comings and goings around that event. Now, um, Valencia uh, is, is... is the traditional season finale venue for MotoGP and we've seen some wonderful conclusions to MotoGP championships there but this year it was more what was happening off the track than on the track that was was creating the the headlines as we all know the championships was long wrapped up um by um now now six-time world champion in MotoGP Mark Marquez and eight in all classes um so that was that was put to bed and it was only the team's championship that was left to left to decide and that was between HRC Honda which is Mark Marquez and Jorge Lorenzo and um, uh, the Ducati team of Andrea De Vizioso and Danilo Petrucci. Now um, as we know Jorge Lorenzo has not had the easiest season and we will get on to talking about him in a moment so Mark Marquez basically was left on his own to to, to take on the might of Ducati all by himself. And in fact, it was not a good race for Ducati at all. Uh, and it was a very good race for Mark Marquez with a win uh, in his final round of, uh, of the year. And HRC Repsol Honda took the team's championship despite having one of their riders well off the pace and, and also injured for, for a major part uh, of the season. But... Almost everything was thrown uh, thrown into insignificance on Thursday when Jorge Lorenzo called uh, an exceptional press conference in the morning um, where uh, the, the chief executive of uh, Dorna, the series organisers, the series owner, uh, Carmelo Espeleta, uh, would be in attendance. Now, Carmelo Espeleta, if he's being specifically called into uh, into a press conference alongside a rider, it usually means one thing, and that means that um, the rider is going to announce their retirement. And that was what Jorge Lorenzo decided to do. Now, Jorge Lorenzo has had a glittering career uh, in MotoGP. Uh, he's won the World Championship on three occasions, and he's beaten the best in the business at their best. He beat Valentino Rossi in 2010, he beat Casey Stoner uh, in 2012, and he beat Mark Marquez and Valentino Rossi in 2015. So all of the best riders of the modern MotoGP era, Jorge Lorenzo's, faced them at their very peak uh, and be- and beaten them. Um, a number of race wins, I think 44 race wins with Yamaha, three with Ducati. Sadly, none with with Honda, but it just it just wasn't to be. Um, you know, Jorge Lorenzo's had some horrific injuries in his uh, in his career, um, which have really, um, you know, really pushed him back uh, uh, at times. Um, and this year was 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 no different. He actually um, came into the came into the season with a number of injuries, uh, and actually in the uh, in June in Assen actually broke his back and missed a couple of months of the season. Now, it, I I personally felt very sorry for for Jorge Lorenzo. Because, you know, he came back from breaking his back. Imagine that. You've broken your back and you come back to riding a nearly 300 horsepower um, prototype motorcycle with carbon brakes and all these kinds of things. 
and you've got to come back and do that and straight away everybody says well you're rubbish you're rubbish you know you're running around at the back and i'm sure there was nobody that you know nobody that thought that more than than Horky himself he knows what he's capable of you know we've seen him win so many races just clearing off in front of everybody else and making everyone look quite silly um so you know, it was it, it was quite sad to see him, you know, so so badly injured and, and getting such a pasting in, in the press as well. So I think he felt that it was time uh or he stated in his press conference that he'd he didn't feel it was worth it anymore and it was time um to step away from step away from the sport. A brave decision to make. It would have been easy just to carry on and, and, and you know and chase around in circles. But I think he's made the right decision, especially if he's battling with, with physical um physical issues um from injuries I, I think he, he's he's made the right call he'll be sorely missed uh in the sport he's always played a little bit of the pantomime villain actually uh in moto gp um i think any rider who has come up against um the ever popular valentino rossi head to t- head to head is never going to make themselves popular you have seen it with casey stoner he wasn't a particularly popular rider mark marquez is getting there but still there's a big faction of the moto gp fan base that really doesn't like mark marquez um, um, and I think a big root part of that is because all of these riders have faced faced up to and caused big problems for um, you know the legend that is Valentino Valentino Rossi. So I think Jorge Lorenzo suffered a little bit from that, and of course he came into the Yamaha team in two thousand and eight um, alongside Valentino Rossi in his absolute prime, and he came in and was very very fast to start with, having pole positions and podiums and wins early on, uh, and then started to have some massive crashes, which did you know calm him down a bit. But in two thousand and nine. You know, he came up against Rossi. We held him really, really strongly. Um, but uh, but still, Rossi won the title. But in 2010, um, you know, Jorge Lorenzo put together a season much like Mark Marquez has this season. Actually, you know, I think he was only off the podium on one occasion and won a lot of races and was completely dominant on the Yamaha. M1 and won the season early uh, at Sepang uh, in in Malaysia. Um, so, you know, it's, he 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 really will be missed. He was a, he's a completely completely unique character. Um, um, Jorge Lorenzo, almost slightly fragile mentally, but when he was when his head was in the right place and he felt comfortable, he was he was incredible uh, on a, on a motorcycle. So, um, you know, wish him well. Um, you never know. He's he said he, the possibility of wild cards in the future um, as a potential. There's talk of Suzuka Tower and things like that. So you never know. We might see him on a motorbike um, again. We might see him racing cars. We might see him on the beach in Bali uh, on his on his Instagram feed. Whatever he decides to do, enjoy it, Jorge. You've deserved it after many years in the sport. So this big bombshell announcement, it left, it leaves one of the most coveted places on the grid open. Now, a seat as an HRC factory Repsol Honda rider is what every rider dreams of when when they grow up. At this current moment in time, it's clear that the HRC Honda bike is actually a very tricky machine to get speed out of, particularly if you're a rookie uh, in the series as, as as well. And it's very, very clear that Mark Marquez appears to be the only guy who can actually get, um, you know, who, who can get the pace out of it. And you just look at um, how many wins other Honda riders have had uh, compared to, you know, com- compared to Mark Marquez. You know, Mark Marquez has outscored 
all of the other Honda riders put together by four times. You know, uh, he's massive, massive thing. He's something like 57 wins. And, you know, the, the other Honda riders are at 12 or 13 wins. So the last teammate of Marc Marquez to win a MotoGP race was Danny Pedrosa back in Valencia two years ago uh, in 2017. So it's uh, it's almost a little bit of a poison challenge. Yes, you get to be a, a Repsol Honda rider, which is a big dream. I'm sure it's a good salary as well. Um, but you've got to go in alongside Marc Marquez, which is... Which is tough, and on a bike which which is 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 renowned for being a little bit um a little bit edgy, a little bit spiky. So straight away the 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 rumors started to flow around who was going to go on that bike. Was it Johann Zarco? You know the Frenchman. He's been um he's done a couple of races on the LCR Honda. Uh, you know with not too bad, not too bad performances. Um, he's had a tough year though in general on the KTM. So his name was bandied around. Uh, you know Takumi Takahashi. Um, Takaki Nakagami, um, you know, Cal Crutchlow, these names were all talked about and they could make a very credible case for all of these riders as well. But there was one name that circled around a lot and that's the reigning or the, the just crowned new Moto2 world champion, Alex Marquez. Now, Alex Marquez, the younger brother of Mark, um, has unfortunately he's had a bit of the Ralph, the Ralph Schumacher uh, in in the case of always being a little bit in the in the shadow of his brother. But I think the difference uh, with Alex is is that we we forget that back in two thousand and fourteen. Alex won the Moto3 World Championship up against Jack Miller, um, who's now renowned as one of the top riders in MotoGP. He was on the podium. He was third at the weekend there. Um, and also, you know, Alex came into, so he, he graduated up to Moto2 and took a number of years to get used to the Moto2 machine. He's quite a tall rider, which is normally not very good for the Moto2 bike being a, little, a light bike. Um, but... This year, clearly, when moving to the Triumph engine, a little bit more power, a little bit more torque, that's definitely seemed to uh, have suited Alex's style a little bit more, and he, and he won, the, won the championship in one of the most competitive racing series in the world. So uh, it, it, it emerged uh, on the day after the race that it would be Alex Marquez who would who would be released from his contract as a Mark VDS Moto2 rider for the 2020 season. That contract's been quietly put in the bin, uh, and Alex has been um, he's been promoted up to the HRC Repsol Honda team. So him and his brother Mark will take on the championship together next year for Repsol Honda. And this is, um, you know, coming from the sort of entertainment side and the PR side, of MotoGP, this is these are the sort of stories that get column inches in more general publications. They get more attention on the television. You know, these things are really, really important. It's it's not that we should make our our sport full of gimmicks. Not quite, quite, quite the opposite. But clearly, when you've got the you know someone who's just won the Moto2 World Championship, well, they deserve a MotoGP seat more than most so and it's just almost a, a nice convenience that he could come along and, and join his brother at the at the Repsol Honda team and of course he will get far more guidance um, from his teammate being his brother um, than he would from from, from from anybody else on, on the grid so I think it's going to be fascinating to watch, I think we would be foolish to say that uh, you know Alex could come in particularly on a Honda if he were on a Yamaha it might be a different story but um, to, to come in on that difficult, edgy, fickle Honda and come in and score results um, early on, I think we would be foolish to, to say that's going to happen. But 
Um, but I think you know, what we'll see is progression over um, you know over his first couple of years uh, in the in the top class. So good, good, uh, best of luck um, to to him. Right. So let's talk. We talked about Honda. We talked about them enough. Let's talk about Yamaha. So Yamaha was a quite a contrasting fortunes, and what we saw in Valencia was quite a quite a good representation of what we've seen uh, across the season. You know, Fabio Quartararo on the on the on the um, SRT Petronas Yamaha, which is the satellite bike, so the kind of pri privateer bike below um, the factory team. Um, we understand that in the later part of the season. Um, Fabio Carteraro's bike has been given a few more upgrades to bring it more towards the specification of the full factory movie star Yamaha, uh, Monster Energy Yamaha team. Um, but, uh, you know, it's still a team. And bearing in mind this, uh, the SRT Petronas Yamaha team, this is their first year in MotoGP. It's extraordinary what they've achieved this year, not just with Fabio Quartararo, who's had lots of pole positions and plenty of podium finishes. They've also had Franco Morbidelli as well, doing incredibly well, always performing consistently, regularly in the top five or six places. So what they've done is is, is quite extraordinary. Um, the factory Yamaha guys, uh, Maverick Vinales and Valentino Rossi, They've not had the 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 season that they they would have liked. Maverick Vinales has managed to he's managed to score two uh, two race uh, race wins uh, at Sepang and uh, in Assen uh, in Holland. I was at that race. It was a good good race. Um, but in general, Maverick Vinales is always he's always never quite been able to convert on um, the promise of free practice and sometimes qualifying as well and he's always seemed to seem to have faltered in races often struggles in the early stages of a race um, you know struggling to get the tires up to temperature struggling with the full tank of fuel that kind of thing and then only makes his charge often when it's far too late towards the end of the race however we did see in Aragon um, a track with Lot, you know, one lots of wonderful fast swooping corners throughout the lap, and then towards the end of the lap in the final sector, there's one massive long downhill straight, and he was getting absolutely pasted by um, particularly Andrea Davizioso on his Ducati, but also um, also Mark Marquez on the, on the Honda as well. He was cleared off and in, into the distance. So, you know, it's it's uh, clearly it's very very obvious that Yamaha are really really far behind on um on straight line pace so much so that if they have any ambitions to win world championships they 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 they, they have to get more horsepower in otherwise they they have not got a hope um because the bike is very clearly um it it's it's almost it's it's almost vividly obvious to the naked eye watching the television just how much quicker through the corners the Yamaha is but even then, to still not be able to win the races with that amount of corner speed uh, is, is is hugely frustrating, you know. So um, big changes need to be made over the winter for Yamaha. You know, they've 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 had one riders world championship since um, Mark Marquez came into the came into the championship. You know, they are this is something that they they, they will really want to 
to address. We also saw at the weekend Valentino Rossi, you know, floundering around at the at just just inside the top ten and no more. Now that's not what we're that's not what we're used to. That's not what we're used to seeing with Valentino Rossi. We know that he's more capable uh, than than that. And Valencia's never been one of his favourite circuits, mind you. But um, we know that, that he's got more in the tank than, than that. And it's just a, needing a wee bit more horsepower. Um, it just seems that 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 appears to be the only piece of the jigsaw that's left um, for that for that Yamaha uh, motorcycle. Now. Most of the chat at the weekend, um, bearing in mind we're in 2019 still, most of the chat at the weekend was going on about 2021 contracts because most at the end of 2020, all the more or less the entire MotoGP grid are out of contract. So it's everything's up for grabs, everything's up for bidding, everything's up for discussion. So it's we're talk, the the rumours getting thrown around are are crazy considering we're a good. I mean, well, we're 18 months away from the start of that particular season. Um, so it, it's, it's amazing. But already Ducati making noises about making a move for Fabio Quartararo, taking him away from Yamaha. Um, also having a, trying to, um, to, to court Maverick Vinales uh, as well. Interestingly, um, Lynn Jarvis, the managing director of the Yamaha MotoGP team, um, came out uh, in the press and said that um, they they are they do not wish to pursue Mark Marquez. Their aim is very clear, and it's to beat Mark Marquez on his Honda with their own rider on the Yamaha motorcycle. So they don't want to bring in uh, um bring in Mark Marquez to be able to to win the titles for them. And I find that an interesting stance because the stats since Mark Marquez came into the came into the sport are are very very clear um of just how dominant he he is and what a difference he's made and i think in MotoGP it's clear that the the rider still can make a very very big difference uh as 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 well that being said mark mark is very comfortable at honda and is doing very well so it could be that he's he's quite happy staying staying where he where he is um but i do find it funny that you know yamaha they've done in the past you know in 2000 at the end of 2003 um they were an unsuccessful team they weren't winning anything they were really really struggling they were towards the back of the grid and they somehow managed to convince valentino rossi to come along to leave the power of HRC, Repsol, Honda, and to come over to to Yamaha. And it was a huge shock at the time. But what happened? The very first race, boom, Rossi won at Welcome uh, in South Africa. Now, a wonderful duel with um, with Max Biaggi. Now, as we know, here we are nearly 16 years later, Valentino Rossi is still racing for the team despite a two-year hiatus with Ducati. Um, but the less said about that, the better. Um, but all of his time at Yamaha, he's had a multitude of wins, pole positions, um, championship titles in 2004, 2005, 2008 and 2009. So um, he's it's when they've gone and pursued the star rider to change their fortunes it has worked for them in the past and that's the that's the bit that i'm kind of confused about um however you can see that they might be reticent to to say you know if marquez comes to comes to yamaha and then doesn't win then yamaha look bad 
I personally don't think that would happen, but uh, but that is that is certainly a it's certainly a a, a risk or, or a possibility. So, but the problem is is that if uh, so that you know Yamaha are basically saying we're putting our long term bets on particularly Fabio Quartararo, but Maverick Vinales as well. Now, if Ducati managed to steal one, if not both of these riders, then where do Yamaha go then? Um, because there doesn't appear to be any other, you know, any other threat to to dethroning Mark Marquez uh, in the in the near future. And yes, Fabio Quartararo is probably the the most likely candidate um, to take that fight to Mark Marquez with a well sorted Yamaha. I think he's the guy who's clearly got the raw speed to do that. He's proven that this year on a number of occasions that he's able to able to at least put pressure on him. Um, but if you know, Ducati come in with a big budget and they and they take Quartararo away. Well, then you're 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 snookered. So that's the bit that I'm I'm struggling to understand that, that at least Yamaha wouldn't at least throw their hat in the ring. Um, and you never know how bike development might go in the next next year or so. It could be that the Honda becomes more difficult. The Yamaha keeps up and you know who knows it's all a long way away but it seems now in MotoGP the 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 memory of people in the paddock is getting shorter all the time you just have to look at the situation with Jorge Lorenzo you know with his results everyone forgot just what his credentials were very very quickly but also people are looking so much further into the distance in terms of making signings and things like that you know we saw you know, you're seeing riders getting signed up right at the beginning of the season for the following season before they've even got started and seen what what the form was. So, uh, MotoGP is it's an interesting uh, interesting place uh, at the at the moment. Now, the last one I want to talk about is Johan Zarco. We mentioned him earlier in the show. Um, Johan Zarco, he, 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 you know, had a terrible time at KTM. Um, he joined them this year as a fa- fully paid up factory rider on a two-year contract. And by the summertime, he decided to leave the team and shortly after he was dismissed from the team. Um, and by by good fortune, uh, Johan Zarco managed to find himself a ride at LCR Honda for the last, I think, the last three races of the season because poor old Takaki Nakagami had to go and get a, a get a shoulder operation, and that opened up the opportunity. And and you know he gave a good account of himself, didn't set the set the world on fire, but you know gave a decent account of himself and enough that um, it looks like there are options on the table for him to remain in uh, MotoGP next year. It appears like there is an option with. Ducati. He's been photographed coming out of the Ducati motorhome um, with um, you know, bosses Gigi Deligna and Paolo Cibatti standing at the top of the stairs. So that they're they're not going to have a chat with them for no reason. Um, so it looks like he may go to the private Avintia team, um, um, but with a, a, a higher specification of bike than that team currently uses. And it appears that um, Carmelo Espeleta from Dorna is very, very keen to keep Johan in the championship, keep the Frenchman in the championship, and also someone of his char- his character as well. Um, he his other option it appears is that he may be able to go back to Moto Two and race for the you know the championship leading um, Mark VDS team. That might not be such a bad idea. I wouldn't be surprised to see him go back to Moto Two and win the championship again. He's just that sort of rider. He's a very he's a he's a curious character, uh, Johan Zarco, and you just don't know. What what Johan Zarco uh, you're you're gonna get sometimes. 
So that's MotoGP season over, um, which is always a sad time of the year, mid-November. Um, we it just seems like it just comes round so quickly every year, and that's us until until March uh, at Qatar for the races. However, um, the what the guys um in MotoGP will have a couple of tests at Sepang, uh, like normal around January February time as well, and that's always a really good barometer to see. What, what what to expect um throughout throughout the season you know Alex Marquez he's gonna have to have a really busy winter lots of you know lots of training and lots of uh, lots of practice on his new HRC um Repsol Honda bike uh, as as well so um as and when things uh, come up we'll 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 talk about those probably do a podcast on the next major test see how things are going see if Yamaha managed to get a few more few more horsepower uh, in there as well. Before I go, um, just a wee reminder, uh, if you're enjoying the show, please don't forget to subscribe on your chosen podcast platform. Um, my personal favourite is Podbean. I quite like Podbean. Um, uh, unfortunately, we can't get it on Spotify yet. I'm having some problems getting Spotify to, to talk to uh, my RSS feed. You know, it's, it's RSS feeds and all these sorts of things. It's very all gobbledygook to me as a junior podcaster. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, iTunes... Um, Stitcher, Podbean, Castbox, you can get it on all these sorts of places, or you can get it on my website as well, petermckaymotorsport.com. I would love to hear from you uh, on the show. Uh, if you have any questions that you'd like me to read out on the show, uh, I'd be delighted to do so. Um, so you can get in touch via our Facebook page, which is the Peter Mackay Motorsport Podcast. You can get in touch via Instagram, at Peter Mackay Motorsport, uh, or via our Twitter, which is at Mackay Podcast. I'd be delighted to hear from you, uh, and I do hope you, you, you get in touch. So thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Peter Mackay Motorsport Podcast, and I look forward to speaking to you again very soon.